welcome to Don't Tell Mama, where we spill the sweet tea on all things Southern. I'm Mandy. I'm Leah. I'm Katie. And you're listening to Don't, Don't Tell Mama. America Day, everyone. Yay. I'm so excited. So today in America, kids are dropping everything and reading in honor of the birthday of the great Dr. Seuss. Fun fact about Dr. Seuss. His name is actually pronounced Dr. Seuss, but when he became such a big, uh, such a big deal and such a famous uh, author and writer, the, um, he, his name uh, was said wrong all the time. So it became Dr. Seuss and he changed it to Dr. Seuss later on in his life. <laughs> Just say it, Dr. Seuss. Like, like Dr. No. Seuss rolls off the tongue a little better, I think. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Definitely an institution now, you know, everyone, oh, yes. like said, um, the elementary school I used to work at, they would have like spirit days for reading where you dress up as your favorite Dr. Seuss character and had like a cake in the cafeteria. So it's a lot of fun. And reading is something very close to my heart. I've kind of made a career out of it. I have been a librarian for almost 11 years now. I can't believe it's been that long. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I started volunteering in libraries when I was 18 years old. Um, okay, I do okay. have news to share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did have big news. And I think today is an appropriate time to say it. So my degrees are in my undergrads in history and English and my other my master's degree is in history and then I have certificates in teaching ESL and then a state Mississippi teachers license. But I decided that I am probably serious about being a librarian since I've been a librarian <laughs> or a support staff as a librarian for over 11 years now, I decided to go to get my master's in library science. So now these days, one master's is not enough, obviously. So I have been accepted to begin in 2021 the master's in library and information science program at USM, and I'll also get an archive certificate along the way. Nice. That's going to be, I think, um, right up your alley. So. I think congratulations, so. Mandy. That's so Thank that's you. big news. So I think some one of the topics that bonded me and Leah besides Starbucks, like we talked about in our beginning episode, <laughs> is reading. It's something we talk about together all the time. We share recommendations. We talk about me and Leah have some deep conversations about the books we read. We really do. Mandy has been, um, I've, I've always called her my book dealer. So um, <laughs> I don't do drugs, but I do books. And Mandy deals me uh, books all the time. So <laughs> some of my absolute favorite books that I've ever read have been recommended by Mandy. And um, we've, I think that that's, I agree that that's something that um, has really cemented our friendship over the years and helped us grow even closer is that we share though that love of of reading and we have somewhat similar tastes in books where we both have a, a very wide range of of books we enjoy kind of reading so mm -hmm. yeah. and we are both mood readers so a mood reader is someone who like reads what they're in the mood for we don't always read classics we don't always read romance we don't always read you know whatever's the top you know, hottest book on the market, we read what we're in the mood for. And then if we get on the kick of an author, we might read one book by that author, or we might read every single book that author's ever written. That is, yes, I completely agree. I'm 
I definitely have picked up books and, and had to put them away because it just wasn't my time to read them. And then years later, I'll go back and, and just devour the book. Oh, that's true <laughs> as well. Mm -hmm. So what's your earliest childhood memories of reading? Oh, um, I'm going to start this one, Katie, and then I'll have you kind of chime in since we probably both have a very similar um, first memories of reading because uh, we shared them. We shared a lot of those right. memories together. <laughs> so my mom actually was a stay-at-home mom for the most part when Katie and I were younger, and she actually taught me how to read, and it was it was something that I kind of really wanted to learn myself. Like she helped me with it. And she, she taught me when I was very young, I was like three years old and I was reading, um, Dr. Seuss actually. So, <laughs> um, very appropriate with this, but I was, I had always really loved having her read me books as well. I had like this big milk crate of books that I would just drag around. And anytime my mom sat down, um, I'd drag it over, sit on her lap, and just hand her book after book after book. A lot of those early memories with with um, my mom were just we would I would read a page, then she would read a page, and then I would read a page, then she would read a page, and most of them were the little golden books like the Pokey Puppy. Um, when Katie got a little older as well, um, my mom and Katie and I would read. We read The Secret Garden and Charlotte's Web, and I would read a page, and then my mom would read a page, and then eventually Katie would read a page when she got old enough. Um, but those were some of my favorite memories. Do you remember all of that, Katie? Of course. I remember, um, well, what I can of it, <laughs> and, uh, but it, it was more like when I would sit still long enough to uh, like sit with you guys to read a book because I was a very like crawl around child experience things on you know on the ground and um, so when I would sit still long enough and read books I remember uh, loving the Velveteen Rabbit and like you having an emotional experience to the book made me like um, kind of uh, connect to it more and then books like what is it? The the old fables tales where like the lion has the the thorn in its foot. I can't even think of it. Yes. Do you oh, know what, what are I those? Mean? Uh, what is that? Book Aesop's called? fables. Aesop's, Aesop's fables. Yes. Fables. Yes, that's exactly yeah. it. So the those old nursery rhyme books and things like that. Like that's what I remember, and I just remember you being so like on Mama's lap, like into the book, and I was like okay, like on the side, like doing my own thing, but I would get the book in the background, you know? So it yeah, was like yeah. my earliest memories of a podcast in a way. <laughs> yeah. I literally cried at the end of the Velveteen <gasps> Rabbit and I got so mad at the end of the book yeah. that I like ripped the page out and my mom <laughs> got mad at me. Like I got in so much trouble. She's like, Leah, you do not do this to books. This is not okay. And she's like, I understand that you were upset about it, but like, this is, you know, books are, you know, books are, are not meant to be torn or anything like that. And, right. and, um, it was a very emotional experience for me. It's still, that I still one cry. will get you in the feels. It will. Oh, that one will get you in the feels. Book. It, it still really makes is. me cry as a child. And as an adult, it's got such a, like, it's such a deep, such a deep meaning. So mm -hmm. I began reading the midnight library last night and I had the same, the same reaction, the first chapter of the book. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> must read. Must read. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but the first chapter was like, 
Oh my gosh. Uh, it was harsh. <laughs> yeah. You'll know. You'll know why it hit oh Mandy gosh. in the feels when you, when you read the Aww. first chapter. But my family actually um, is not a reading family. I had some books. I did read some classics, some fairy tales. Like, and I ha- did know, like, I did have a copy of The Velveteen Rabbit and Jemima Puddle Duck from Beatrice Potter. I had some of those. But my family was not. I am the only person in my family that likes reading. So I began reading when I would get the um, scholastic slips you could order books from. I remember specifically fourth grade when I ordered my first box set of Goosebumps. And that got me started on my reading journey. And I read a lot then. um, But then about fifth grade, I read a book by Zilpha Keatley Snyder named The Egypt Game. And that one captured my imagination. Like that's the first one where I remember like rereading it. And it's still one that I really enjoy today. Also, um, it does have a little bit of um, connection. Our good friend, Jerry, who I was in school with. Leah, okay, so Jerry's one of my best friends and Leah's best friend too. <laughs> one of her best friends because I Jerry, love Jerry too. I know everyone loves Jerry. He's got like a fan club. So Jerry went to school with me from first grade to fifth grade in the same class. Like our moms, we've been friends since first grade and our moms put us in school in the same class. So in third grade, our teacher, she was kind of a little OG teacher. She was good though. Miss Dudley, she had a set of vintage, like I think they're from the seventies, folktales from around the world. And me and Jerry were obsessed with the Egypt one. So then when I read the Egypt game later in fifth grade, it just like connected. Mm. Like we illustrated stuff about ancient Egypt. We read, we checked out books from the library about ancient Egypt. So there is like a, a right like a real life connection and then actually later on as an adult I love books by Wilbur Smith who has the who has these epic tales set in Africa and he does have an Egyptian series as well so that got me started on my reading journey and I love reading so it is one of my favorite hobbies I've got a ton of books (laughs) were you ever one of those kids that like stayed up past your bedtime reading every night me too (laughs) Yeah, I had this little dinky Goosebumps flashlight, which came in one of those box sets, and I, like, would read yeah. until, until that, that thing burned out. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I love it. That's so cute. I, I wasn't necessarily one of those kids, but I would remember, like, either waking up and rolling over, and Leah would be still awake with either a flashlight under her, under the bed, or, like, she is um, just wide awake, just into a book, so... <laughs> Yep. And reading was one of those things in, in our household that was always encouraged. Like my mom would tell us, you know, if we had been watching too much TV in the summer or whatever, she'd kick us out. Right. Um, she'd go outside, go outside and play. Um, but if I was reading, she would not interrupt me. You know, I would disappear for hours and she'd be like, Oh, she's just reading. That's fine. You know, she'll read for, you know, all day. And, and it was always encouraged. It was never something that was like, seen as me being lazy or, or something like that. And, and we did go outside and play, of course, but um, my mom was always, and is, is always an avid, has always been an avid reader as well. So she used to have a job in Biloxi, Mississippi, teaching phonics to kids. So it was like a, not necessarily a tutor program, but during school, they would have an extra like um, class for the children who may have been struggling to read and so she was such a good reading teacher that I feel like that was like 
one of the, you know, when you find that job <laughs> that just isn't a job anymore because it feels so good doing it. Like I felt like that for her at that time was it. Like she loved that job. And so I think she, I think that's kind of where you found your love, right? Uh, you know, she was such a good reading teacher and patient enough and she taught you how to read. And so that, that just like, grows um your love and passion for books at an early age which is so mm -hmm. great yeah it was definitely fostered um mm -hmm. by her love for reading fostered. and yeah and her mm -hmm. her patience with me handing her book after book after book <laughs> after book after book yeah. after book yeah <laughs> it's really like fun. sitting in the sitting in the library on those beanbag chairs and just like every shelf just like grabbing the books <laughs> Yeah, bringing stacks and stacks of books to her. Yeah, it's just as fun for her though, because I enjoy reading to kids. That's one of my favorite things. That's one of the things I do miss is reading to kindergartners as a school librarian. So, in honor of today, we really thought about it, and we decided each one of us would give a list of the top five books that impacted us, like changed our lives. And me and Leah had a really good conversation about this before recording. And these are not books that like. Are, they're not necessarily our top favorite, favorite books sometimes. These are books that impacted us, like to the core, like we are still thinking about them. They changed the way we lived or they changed the way we thought about something. But there are books that have really captivated me and Leah over the years. We talked about The Historian, The Coincidence of Coconut Cake. They're all fantastic reads and we love them and we will reread them again someday. But as far as changing our lives... Not really. <laughs> they were kind yeah. of our escape for that time. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful Ruins is another one. That one was Beautiful so Ruins. wonderful. Yes, that's a wonderful book. But like I said, at the end, I wasn't like changed as a person. The, but yeah, so this is definitely not an inclusive list. Um, actually, some of these would be maybe considered my favorite books, but most of them actually would not be considered my all-time favorite books on my list. So mm -hmm. um we just wanted to clarify that. And I think as we go through the list, we should say the title, the author, a little quick like sentence or two summary about what it's about and then why it impacted us. How does that sound, y'all? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I chose to um, pick books um, kind of like in succession. So like something from my childhood, something from, you know, my teenage or whatever, high school, eight years, something from college, that kind of thing, like landmark times in my life. And so these are the books that kind of like, I feel have impacted me in some way. So as a kid, I loved the book Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. So the, this book is about uh, a young kind of grumpy kid who gets sent to bed and then from there, uh, sent to bed with no dinner. And then from there, uh, it, it takes you on this wild journey that you're by the end of the book, you're not sure if it really happened or if this kid just like snoozed and just took a nap and had a good dream. But it's the coolest book ever because it was the first time that I had ever read a book like that, um, where the ending was almost like a gotcha, you know, where you, you were taken on this awesome journey with all these monsters and wild animals. And then at the end, you're left thinking, did that really happen? And I'm getting chills just thinking about it because like Max, I very much relate to Max as like a rough and tumble child, you know, <laughs> like I have scars from my childhood on my elbows and knees of like riding my bicycle too fast and like falling over and getting, you know, all these things. So I just felt very 
close to Max, the main character in that book. So I feel like (laughs) where the wild things are definitely changed my life. That's an expression I say if I have a really crazy online class, like the kid takes me to the bathroom or like they're running, like bouncing off ping pong and off the walls. Katie knows what I'm talking about. I'm like, oh man, it was like where the wild things are in that class. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom would always say, uh, I love you so much. I'll eat you up. You know, I think, which is one of the like lines from that book. It's something that might be paraphrased, but it's I'll like, eat you up. I love you so. That's what I love. And That's the line, oh. the line at the end gets me. And he was the wildest of them all. <gasps> yes. just, uh, all the feels. I, I agree with it. you, Katie. And they crown the rumpus king. Like mm-hmm. my, I have my bunny right now as the rumpus king. Cause he's like, <laughs> he's just so boisterous and crazy. So like, I just had all the things I connect to that book in so many ways. I mean, obviously, we all connected to that book. Next, uh, my next book uh, I found in college when I was um, learning to choreograph. I went to the University of Southern Mississippi to the top. (laughs) That was like the weakest. uh, Uh, Southern Miss to the top. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I'm going back. I got to get back in the spirit of things. (laughs) Yes. All right. So from there, um, I was learning how to choreograph. I went to, I was in the dance department and I got a bachelor's in fine arts, blah, 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 blah. No one wants to hear that. What you want to hear is about the book, The Creative Habit by Twyla Tharp. So Twyla Tharp herself is this modern dance pioneer. So she wrote a book. I was reading it. I was so into modern dance at that time. So it just like came into my life at the perfect timing. The book is once again called The Creative Habit and She. It was like when I was learning, just starting to create my own creative habit, my own way of choreographing, my own um, schedule for the day um, as an artist. And so this book really helped me to do that. And I was young, impressionable person. So uh, looking up to Twyla Tharp as a dancer, uh, this was something that really meant a lot to me. So read it if you are a creative person. It's not just for dancers. I was I was actually going to just ask you, would it be um, a good book for people that are maybe not dancers, but also just artists in their own way? Easy answer. Yes. Because okay. if you just like take out the dance part and put in whatever form, whatever medium you use, you know, um, you can just think of it as a creative practice that can be applicated to any form of art. Next book is Watership Down. Okay, so if you don't know already, I'm obsessed with rabbits. Everyone told me I should read this book. Then I got a rabbit, and so I read the book. Watership Down is a book by uh, Richard Adam. This is like a timeless piece of literature. Watership Down is an amazing story about a warren of rabbits and uh, their travels and their adventures. But the coolest thing to me about this book was that he created a rabbit language. So throughout the book, not only are you reading this story about rabbits, but there are words that you can look in the back of the book and there's a glossary. And I was so obsessed with this rabbit language, which I still use like with my animals, (laughs) like which is so weird. But yeah, so the book really like hit me in the feels because of the, you know, my rabbit obsession. Um, But I recommend it to anyone who's into epic tales and adventures. He really personifies them, right? Like makes them yeah. like people. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do want to preface this with this is not okay. like a happy, feel-good book. 
Oh no, it is absolutely not. I, okay. So I did not read it yet. It's on my list. There's a couple of these I haven't read and I, but my aunt gave me a VHS copy of the seventies version, the cartoon version of it. And it is yeah. wild. Children mm-hmm. should not watch it. No, no. <laughs> but I did as a kid. Eighties, <laughs> nineties, oh, baby. Here we go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is not a children's book. It is not a feel good book. It is definitely an epic tale as Katie mm-hmm. put it. Um, yeah. and it's, it is definitely a classic piece of literature. And I think both of our, our parents and our, our, um, my, our aunt Co actually, who is also, um, has also helped foster my love of reading for my entire life. Um, and Katie's as well, uh, also read this book. Is that the copy she gave you? This says love pudding and kin. So this is from uncle kin. Yeah, so Katie's holding up her, her copy, her vintage copy. Of Watership Down. It's awesome. Next, uh, Women Who Run With the Wolves, Myths and Stories of the Wild Woman Archetype by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. This book came to me at the perfect time when I was uh, feeling a little law. How do I want to put this? This was a big one. (laughs) This is when I was in a dark place in my life and I was feeling like I didn't have any in any of that fire and feminine spark that I was, you know, the wildness in me again. So like I said, I empathize. I have one like this. Yeah. (laughs) I I empathize with Max as a child. Like I'm, you know, like I've got a spirit. So, (laughs) so this book came to me in the uh, in that moment i actually read an excerpt from it um in a yoga class strangely enough the teacher read a chunk of it before the class started and it was the a story about the skeleton woman it makes your heart skip a beat and as you like we're lying in shavasana and and she's like talking about this woman who is a skeleton and you're like in corpse pose like everything just came together at once and I had this crazy like um experience you know with her reading the story through it so I had to go get the book finally got the book and started reading through it each story is like that where it just hits you it's like um, some of them will hit you two days later because you have to marinate on the idea of what it actually meant but oh my gosh this is a really good book. Okay, so that was Remen Who Run With The Wolves. Um, Rat Queens is my last, but not least, because it is such a phenomenal series. It's not, te- it's, it's kind of a book. It's a graphic novel, so I think it counts. <laughs> but I am obviously um, excited by a strong female uh, characters and strong female leads in books, and this is that's exactly what you get from rat queens like just these badass um characters who uh reach these amazing ar- uh, story arcs and they um they grow together they fight together they play D together they get drunk together like it's like the band of girls you want to be friends with but you can't because they're like cartoons but <laughs> So this is like my current obsession, Rat Queens, by Curtis J. Weeb. Later on, the author changes um, later on in the series, but it doesn't matter. It stays, it stays great. So yeah, there it is. There's my list of most impactful books to me that have changed my life. That's a great list, Katie. Thanks. I love that. And I think I, I'm going to have to add the Women Who Run With Wolves to my 
to Me my too. to read list because I that will sounds just mail it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, we could just pass it around. Yep, it'll so you can send it to me book. next. It'll be yeah. a traveling book. I like exactly. It. Yeah, once <laughs> yeah. you read it, you want to share it because it's it's one of those. It's one of those. You know, it hits you wh- whether there's multiple stories in one. So there's something for your soul. You should sign your name in it, and then I'll sign my name after, and then we can just pass it on to women in our lives who we feel need it. That sounds We're great. We're all wild women. Exactly. <laughs> I guess I'll start. I'll go next. Is that okay, Manny? Yeah, yeah. sounds good. Okay, cool. Um, and we'll save the best for last. <laughs> <laughs> so, so speaking of that, my list, Katie, I also kind of went in order of chronological order of of when these books impacted me and how they impacted me. So I, one of my favorite times um, in elementary school was our, our library hour. When we got to go to library, one of my most memorable experiences was the time when we were first able to go into the chapter book section of the library and check out our first chapter book by ourselves. And while I'd been reading chapter books with my mom, this was the first one that I chose that I remember choosing at least. Um, And it was Island of the Blue Dolphins. And as the little marine biologist and little mermaid in me. I was, of course, drawn to this book. It's by Scott O'Dell. Um, it was written in the 1960s, and it's about um, a girl named Karana who basically ends up getting left on her island and has to learn how to survive. It's about her journey, and she's she's very young. And it was just it was just one of those things like it really stuck with me. The imagery in the book of the the otters and the devil fish or the manta rays and everything were just so memorable. And I've, I've gone back and visited this book several other times in my life just because it, it's technically like a children's book. It's It still has applied to my life in many, many different ways. And the fact that like you can do anything is basically what this book taught me. And I think that one is also one that Mandy has also loved as well as a child, right, Mandy? Yes, it's one I read multiple times as a kid. Yeah, so that's one we kind of shared. The second book on my list is is a very is a classic for a lot of little girls, but it's Little Women um, by Louisa May Alcott. And so, Little Women to me, um, and Louisa May Alcott in general, is just one of those. Oh, it was just so. It was a story of all of, of these women, these sisters, and their mom, and um, and their 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 lives during that time, and. Um, it, it reminded me a lot of the different kinds of relationships that you have with different women in your lives, with your best friends, with your sisters, with your mother. Um, and it just, it just kind of embodied a lot of those feelings for me. And I just devoured them as a child. So that's one that I've, I will always love. It will always be one of my favorite books. I've seen all of the different movie versions, including the most recent one, which was wonderful. Yeah, I love all the reboots. I'm ready for a modern version. Someone needs to reboot it like in modern times. I I would totally be down for that. Like maybe dad could be like, you know, in the Afghan war or something. Oh yeah. That'd or be something. something. Or a missionary or something like that. But yeah, that would be a really good reboot. Um, did you see the BBC version too that came out around the same time as the newest movie? Yes. Yes. That one's good too. I yes. like that ima- reimagination of it as well. I actually read Little Women. I tried it when I was like probably about fourth grade, but it was too difficult for me. So I read it probably closer to sixth grade. 
Mm. and enjoyed it a lot more. Um, my summers at the library are kind of weird. When I got my driver's license and my first car, a 1991 Ford Tempo, by the way, <laughs> I would drive to the library in the summers. <laughs> my first summer before I started working at Sea Camp, I had my license. And I would go to the Diablo Library instead of like going to sit in the Kmart parking lot with all the other, you know, Kmart Crusaders, as we would call them. <laughs> Kmart. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. In so long. <laughs> I know. Oh I know. So it was a thing in the town I was from to like for the high schoolers to just hang out in the Kmart parking lot. <laughs> Ours was Sonic in Ocean Springs. And Walmart. Sonic and Walmart. And Walmart. Yeah. We didn't have a Kmart though. So yeah. But we had a Kmart in Diarville for a while. A long time actually. Almost my, throughout my entire childhood and teen years. But I would go to the Diarville Public Library <laughs> and, and pick out books. Yeah, that was my fun time. Part one, Mandy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was, I was right there in the Ocean Springs one, girl. Don't worry. I was doing the same thing. Uh, That's where I found like Victoria Holt and all of her historical fiction novels. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I read all of hers too in high school. Yeah. But going back to now in middle school, right? So I was think I was seven when I read Island of the Blue Dolphins, and I think it was after my fourth grade year when I read All the Little Women. Um, novels. And then in middle school, my aunt co um, actually, and when I was in seventh grade, I think for Christmas gave me the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit. And this was before the movies came out y'all. So um, showing my age here, um, <laughs> but I read the Hobbit first and then I read the rest of the Lord of the Rings trilogy all in seventh grade. And I was enraptured with these books. These I read before I read Harry Potter. So Harry Potter was just starting to come out at this time. It was more impactful for me in my life than Harry Potter was, you know, um, although I love Harry Potter books, they're wonderful and magical and, and, beautiful little stories um and beautiful epic stories actually but to me lord of the rings was was my i guess you could say my harry potter the hobbit and lord of the rings it just spoke to all of my imagination um the imagery the little the little riddles in the books the 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 all the the music that they incorporate into them that jrr tolkien um puts into them um I don't often read books more than once. Um, most of these books that I have on here, I have read more than once. And this series I have read, I think, four times. The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I've read them at different points in my life. I think I reread them every time the movies came out. Um, or not every time, but whenever the movies came out, I reread them. I reread The Hobbit again before those started coming out. So... <laughs> The last two books on here, I really had a difficult time choosing which ones to incorporate. But I wanted to put in here, in high school, I read Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. It's um, about an African-American girl named Pecola, and it takes place during the Great Depression. And it was written in the 1970s. Um, But this is actually, I wanted to incorporate this one because this is the first book I read that is on the banned book list. So my sophomore year, my English teacher actually gave us a list of books, many of which were on the banned book list. And she told us to pick some to read. And if one of them was on the banned book list, we just had to get our moms to approve it. And of course, my mom's like, yeah, it's a book. Read it. Read anything you can get your hands on, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Non-censorship is a very big librarian cause. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Right. Um, And so, and my mom trusts me and 
she knows I'm intelligent and she's like, okay, you have the sensibility to choose what you want to read. And if this is one that interested you, then read it, you know? And so it, it was just one of those books that it really, really hit home for me. And a lot of, it was very, it was very eye-opening for me, I guess I should say, not hit home for me, but it was very eye-opening for me. And it was amazing. It was so well-written and it was, it was just one of those books that I, I really wanted to include this one on there because I also, cause-wise, Mandy, I'm, I want to champion, like, let your children read books, you mm-hmm. know, teach them and- how to choose books and then let them read them. And let them feel uncomfortable about what they read. Yes. You know, um, one of the first things the Nazi party did was raid universities in Germany and burn the books. Actually, someone wrote, like said a quote, when you start burning books, it's not long before you start burning people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very powerful imagery when you see books burning. And I think that, um, Mandy, you're actually going to talk about this probably a little bit when I'm, I'm sitting here looking at your list. That's yeah, probably yeah. going to be a big part of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, because throughout history, anytime they want to set a people back, anytime conquering people come in, what do they do? They burn the libraries. They you burn your knowledge. Their sources for education. Mm-hmm. And creativity. For yep. Yes. Because education and knowledge is power. And so I really wanted to include that on there. Let your children read these books, make them, let them feel uncomfortable because this was not a comfortable book for me to read. It's not, it's not a feel good book at all. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very uncomfortable for me to read. And I actually read several others by her and um, Eudora Welty and some others at that time that it kind of pushed me on a path to read a bunch of, a bunch of books that were, were uncomfortable in a lot of different ways. My 10th grade English teacher um, did a great job kind of pushing us to do some of those things. I think we also read like the Clockwork Orange and Fahrenheit 49, uh, was it 491, 495, 491. That one's by Ray Bradbury. Actually, I have not read, I did not read that one. I think I read some of the other ones that she had mm-hmm. on the list, but that's one that I'm, I actually think I'm going to read pretty soon. Actually, I, I have read anything like several, that like I'd call them modern classics, you know, books published in the last like 80 years or so yeah. that I haven't read like 1984, the Fahrenheit, uh, by Ray Bradbury. There's a few on my list actually that I need to, to get to yeah. probably some other good ones right now in light of everything happening, but I don't know if we're mentally ready or like brave new world. Oh yeah. That's you know, a good one. Um, some of those, you know, might be too, too much right now. I read that one a few years ago, actually. It was a good one. It was before all this. I think it was, I was mm-hmm. in, I had just gotten out of college or something. Have I read either one. of you read a uh, white fragility yet? Mm-mm. No, I really want to. I, I know that I've I've seen the lady like uh, the lady who wrote it like on multiple things and so mm-hmm. I'm like extremely intrigued. So yeah, and so the last one is more is a little more lighthearted. Um, my last book, so my fifth book, is um the book that kind of spurred me to really get into cooking on a like a a, a different level. You know, exploring outside of you know the 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 classic recipes that my mom and my grand both my grandmothers taught me, um or my my mom taught me and, and it's Ina Garten's barefoot in Paris. And if you know me pretty well, you know that I'm, I'm slightly obsessed with Ina Garten and her bouginess. Um, I absolutely <laughs> love the fact that all she does is all she seemingly does at least is cook all day. And men for men that bring her flowers, like 
and and just like cook things in and have beautiful dinner parties and things like this it's just it's just so bougie and so fun and her and i'm i absolutely love the french style of cooking and this kind of was the first cookbook that i actually read cover to cover so one thing i do enjoy about her books is you can actually read them and she puts little bits of information about her life in there and then i've done so many of the recipes from this book. Um, actually, when I'd go up and visit Katie and DJ, so my husband and Katie went to USM at the same time. And so I'd go up and visit them on the weekends and I'd cook a recipe from this book each time I went up. And it was so much fun. And so it it really changed my life from a culinary perspective. Katie, um, do you have do you remember me cooking those for you? <laughs> I totally do. I was just about to chime in and say that that was like a lovely time in my life where my sister would come up on the weekends and cook French dinners. Like that, that was good. It, I felt very bougie then. <laughs> and, and this, if you also don't like Leah is a very bougie person in general. She just, it, it's a good lifestyle, right? Everyone needs to check out her personal Instagram. Yeah. You got Yes, so true. You got to indulge in life sometimes. And I feel like Leah knows how to do that right. Leah and DJ. Leah and DJ know how to do that right. And this this cookbook makes a lot of sense. Some of the best books to read are cookbooks. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of cultural cultural tidbits in cookbooks. Mm -hmm. I think that has, Katie, cookbooks has, has been your source of of keeping you reading for a long time, like in high school and things like that. Those were some of even when you weren't, when you felt like you, you didn't like to read or you weren't a big mm -hmm. avid reader, you were still reading cookbooks, you right. know, um, cookbooks. I mean, if you think about it, you have to be able to read to follow a recipe. So there's your, you know, source of reading when you're younger. And I was really into cooking like a lot. Like all I did was watch food network. And, and when I, I would, I would actually ask for cookbooks for presents. Like I remember one year getting Rachel Ray's 265 30 minute meals. And then there's one, uh, Jamie Oliver's family dinners, you know, and then, uh, and then I have, I still have these too, from when I was younger, like they are that good. Like, uh, just, cookbooks that have stood the test of time and cookbooks that I really love to read. Uh, there are so many out there that aren't just recipes. Uh, like I, in my opinion, a good cookbook needs to have like a, like a context, you know, like you need to know when, uh, why these recipes are in this book. Why did this particular person choose these recipes? So it's like, you know, there's just more to it to me than just a cookbook so it brings them to life so yeah I think it brings the true. recipes to life yeah okay now drum roll please da -da 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 -da. okay anyway sorry that was really <laughs> that <was hilarious laughs> now it's time to hear mandy's top five books oh mandy. my goodness <laughs> yeah these i i kind of had to like agonize over this list for a while because we've, we've known we're doing this episode for, since almost the beginning of the podcast, we said we would do this episode since we were like creating this podcast as our baby, you know, our quarantine baby, like we said. So I finally wrote it to five. I added the last one this morning after really thinking about it. And I might actually are ending, ending up in a, the date I read them order as well, which I did not even think of it in that way. But it is literally in the chronological order of when I read them in order. Um, so I began with The Great Gatsby by F. Scott, F. Scott Fitzgerald. 
and I did read it in high school. We lucked out because we were supposed to read The Scarlet Letter, but the other English teacher had the books for so long that my English teacher decided to do The Great Gatsby instead because she had that book set. So fun random fact. Otherwise, it might have been a long time before I discovered this book. And it is a classic. It's set in the 1920s. F. Scott Fitzgerald, one amazing thing about him as an author is he captures a whole generation. He captures the mood, the parties, the like struggles of an entire group of people. And they were like the lost generation. These were the post-World War I veterans in a time where this, right before the stock market crash. So it's an interesting time in history to begin with. And he um, created this story, which he was actually famous for during his lifetime, which is kind of a distinction to make. Like he, he made big money off this book. And it is basically about a man. It's, it's told by the point of view from a different character, but it's about a man named Jay Gatsby who reappears after being like out of the scene for like 10 years to this hoity-toity area outside New York City. And he goes back to pursue his long lost love who was married to a really wealthy, mm, not very nice guy. <laughs> and Jay Gatsby, and it doesn't like, it, this is definitely a tragedy. And I am a sucker for a sad ending sometimes. And it really impacted me how things that happened in like a story from the 1920s could really affect me for today. Like I could relate to some of these characters and now they've lived a hundred years ago. Have y'all, any of y'all read The Great Gatsby? So actually, yeah, I wanted to chime in here. So I have read The Great Gatsby twice and I did not like it the first time I read it. Mm -hmm. it. It did not speak to me at that point. While I didn't enjoy reading the book at the time, I also really did enjoy like all the um, imagery that he puts in there and, mm -hmm. um, and the, not the imagery, sorry, the, um, what am I trying to say? Like the green light at the end of the dock. Oh, um, the symbolism. Symbol Thank you. Symbolism. There is a lot of symbolism in his yes. writing. Yeah, so I enjoyed it from like a literary analysis point of view because I was really dorky and enjoyed doing all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, but I didn't enjoy it from a reading perspective then. But I much, much later in life, I read it again and I, I fell in love with it. And I totally can see the characters, like see myself in the characters and, and different things like that. Mandy yeah. and Leah, do you all remember where the book is set? Is it New York? Mm -hmm. It's outside New York. It basically is like kind of like the Hamptons. It's not the Hamptons, but it's like the Hamptons kind of situation. Rich people, snobby people, old money people. But Jay Gatsby was broke yeah. and kind of was a self-made man. So he like came from like a poor background and he wanted to be with this girl, but she couldn't be with him because he wasn't rich here. And then he becomes rich <laughs> for her kind of. It's really good. It's a classic and it's definitely a classic for a good reason. For sure. I read this book one summer when I was reading somehow like all the books that I was, uh, was reading at the time were about uh, stories based in New York. And so I had read this one. I read Breakfast at Tiffany's. I read, I think it was Jack Kerouac's On the Road. I read like all these different things that at some point they were all in New York. <laughs> like, what's going on? Is this like mm -hmm. some sign or something? It's very interesting. But yeah, I loved The Great Gatsby and the description of the parties and how like it was like very kind of in a way mysterious and like a thriller um, at the same time. But oof, that's it's a good one. Really mm -hmm. good. 
So my second book is The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. I read this one when I was at the University of Edinburgh. I actually was supposed to be packing for my spring break to Italy. And I spent all night. I did not sleep that night. I read this book, which was not uncommon for me not to sleep at night. I would actually commonly go to bed at three in the morning because I'd be on Skype with people from the U.S. So we were, I was supposed to be packing for Italy, and I read this book instead. And boo-hooed until it was time for me to pack and go to the airport. <laughs> this one is a tearjerker. It is set during World War II, and it's about death is the narrator. And there's a little girl named Liesel whose parents are communists, so they get carted off and die on the transport to the basically concentration camps. And she is sent to live as a foster child with a German family. And this is where it gets like where when you wouldn't suspect the German family loves her like their own and they're good people. Like they're just good, honest, hardworking people. And they hide a Jewish man in their basement. And it goes from there. Like she, um, they take pages of books because books are precious, you know, again, commodities, and they take books and they paint over the pages and make new stories out of them to kind of escape from the war. And it talks about how, you know, kind of like no matter where you come from or what your religious background is, your personal background, your people, and you all need the same things. This one, yeah, this, I, I absolutely love this book as well. And I think one of the most powerful uh, scenes in it is the the big book burning scene when they talk about where all the Nazis mm-hmm. um like they, they come in and they burn like these the books huge in the courtyard. pyres mm-hmm. of books in the courtyard and and I think that this is this kind of harks back to what we were talking about with like banning books or like book censorship or things like that you know and how how powerful that can be as an Im- as an image and I don't know if you've read this one Katie but um it's definitely one of those that it hits you. It hits you. Yeah. Uh, like I actually. Excerpt description got me like, I'm like, I was like tearing up for yeah. a second there. And I actually studied women volunteering in Scotland during World War II for the Young Women's Christian Association. So I've done like a lot of World War II research. So I'm actually picky about World War books, World War II books, because there's a lot of errors in them. And sometimes it's hard for me to read one and get past it. And then some of them have a lot of like, I just was, I had to DNF, DNF, like do not finish a book recently about World War II that was like kind of like random people dying for no purpose in the story. And I think people use that as an advantage in World War II books. This one is not one of those cases. And I also would say there's actually a lot of books I'm kind of um, lenient with the movie version of. Like I'm actually not as big of a critic of movie to book to movie adaptations. I'm actually not as harsh on them as a lot of people are, especially really avid readers. This one definitely was a good, well-made movie, but it does not do the book justice. Just to interject really quickly, um, another book that I almost included on my list is Night by Eli Wiesel. Yes, that Um, was an impactful one too. It's also another World War II book um, from a completely different perspective. It's from the perspective of someone, um, actually the writer himself, the author, his time in Auschwitz, I believe, right? Yeah, in mm-hmm. the concentration camps, basically. Yes, um, he's and a survivor. Yes, exactly. So that's very, very, it's a very impactful book, and I highly recommend that one to anybody. But anyway, back to your story, Mandy. <laughs> so my next book is 13 Little Blue Envelopes by Maureen Johnson. This is interesting about Maureen Johnson. There's a few books I've read where I'm kind of like, eh, it's okay. I won't read the second book. And then she has books that I'm obsessed with, and she can really write through genres. 
Like she has a criminal, like a criminal um, mystery series that's really good. She has a supernatural series that's really good. She has a couple of standalone books that are just bubblegum entertaining. And I call that like bubblegum books. They're, they're like just fluffy. You read them. Queen of Babel by Meg Cabot series. That series is a really good example of like kind of a gumball, fluffy, fun to read series um, with lovable characters. But 13 Little Blue Envelopes is like a YA teeny bopper book. But inside of the core of it, it's got so many like hit home lessons about life. And what happens is it's about a a girl. She's about to graduate college. She's not sure what she's going to do with her life. You know, she's like junior in high school and she has this aunt that she was very close to never. She didn't get married. She's kind of like the single fun aunt. And like they did crazy things like fill up a like fill up a trough of water in her like on the rooftop of her apartment in the summer just to do it. She was really creative. She was an artist. Well, her aunt disappears and then dies like six months later. She dies, like she like dies, she leaves and dies without telling like anyone, like not a word. And a few months after she dies, the girl gets a package from her aunt, from her dead aunt. And it's a backpack, a debit card, and a stash of 13 little blue envelopes sending her across the world to Europe to recreate her aunt's last journey. So what the aunt does is each place is part, she kind of went on a pilgrimage. She knew she was going to die. She had cancer and she didn't want anyone to like watch her die basically. So she sends her niece like following her footsteps through Europe and each envelope is a lesson. And it's really good because it's about like looking at the little things of life, not taking life for granted, living your life you want. And it's, oh my goodness, it's, I'm almost crying like thinking of this book. I, this is another one that you passed on to me, Mandy. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I, I do also, I've read several books by Maureen Johnson and, um, that you have recommended to me. Um, you, so you definitely introduced me to this author and it was, it was such a beautiful book. Yes. And YA, by the way, for those of you, um, who don't know, it's, um, young adults. So it's, it's definitely written, for like a somewhat younger audience. So like high school, early college age. But I think that I, I read it in when I was in graduate school as an adult. So I think that it, it definitely transcends those barriers. And it's, it's just one of those books that the lessons from it um, are, are applicable to all ages, you know, yes, and I, I absolutely love, love this book too. And I actually read it when me and Edder were on our like delayed honeymoon trip to Spain after we got married in 2012. So I was reading it while we were on trains and traveling. I read it. I think I read the last chapter when we were in, in Pamplona running with the bulls. So, and I actually kind of like also kind of saw myself with as the aunt too, because I was like reaching my thirties with no children, kind of interesting. So I kind of like understand the aunt's point of view as well. Now, the other book I added this morning, I finally decided on because I was kind of like agonizing over this, um, is The Help by Catherine Stockett. I actually listened to this on audiobook and it's a great audiobook because they narrate with different women for each character, which is very impactful, I guess you can say. And actually, so The Help is about a, a girl named Skeeter, who is an old Miss grad, who is by Southern 1960s standards, an old maid, because she isn't married yet. But she wants to be a writer and a publisher. She has big dreams that are bigger than Jackson, Mississippi. And she has all these stuck-up, hoity-toity, junior league friends, you know, they were all Kai Omega's old Miss, you know. 
and she begins writing, she decides to write a book from the maid's perspective of the maids of Jackson, Mississippi. And this is in the heat of the civil rights movement. You know, it's freedom summer. There's a lot of racial inequality and a lot of like, you know, employer abuse on these women, like with their wages and what they expect them to do. But actually the lesson I really got from it. So I have I don't know. I've had some people in my family over the years that basically taught me all women are in competition with each other. I don't know if any, I was raised this way. It's not a good way to be. And it's taken me a long time to break it. And this is the first book I see I've read and because I felt sorry too for the women stuck in these marriages that they were expected to have in the sixties. So like I really empathized with the maids and that, you know, the, the maids and the women like in these big grand houses too. Like I felt sorry for them too, because they had some weird crappy situations as well. So that one um, I chose because like the women's relationships and it didn't matter like if they were black or white, but they were all women in it together. I, yeah, I actually have not read this book. So I I have not read the book. I have, I have watched the movie, of course, and I have a bad habit. Like if I've watched the movie, I, it Mm -hmm. takes a lot for me to go read the book, which is awful because I know the book is always going to be better. Um, I will do the opposite in a heartbeat. Like I'll read the book and then watch the movie every time. This movie adaptation is a good one. I will I say love it's, it. it's a really good adaptation, but the book is, yeah, it's very impactful. Like, cause you hear what's going on in their heads and yeah, the relationship they built, Yeah, you know, together. The, the book is fantastic. And I think the, the pie scene is mm-hmm. even better in the book. Yeah, it's classic. Even better in the book. <laughs> so, fun fact, Catherine Stockett is from Jackson, Mississippi, and she has had family members stop talking to her for writing this book. And she wrote this book in the 2000s. So we still, as a state, have these deep-rooted racial issues that are still with us. Um, So I couldn't believe that because I've watched an interview with her and she actually mentioned that. So that was kind of nuts. Wow. That's a huge thing that we um, will, you know, unpack in our own way on this podcast just by, you know, talking about things like this. So yeah. I think that that's one thing that books still, even though it's, you know, very analog, right. In a lot of ways <laughs> that they still have such a strong place in this world and can still, they still have the power to, to create change and in, liberate voices. And even if it's just within your own heart. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons these, these lists have been so much fun and so agonizing for, for Mandy and I, especially. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> To like figure out which to include because impactful books are, are very powerful things. All right. The last one also came to me at the perfect time. This one I read in 2018 after I returned home from Vietnam when we couldn't sell our house and had gone back to my pre-teaching job at the public library. And I felt stuck. Like I kind of felt like I had kind of gone backwards. I had left, you know, school librarians die in their jobs. And I like left my job to go teach in Vietnam, which is kind of nutty. But like I said, I make grand decisions and go with them most of the time. So I felt really stuck. And I got a hold of this audiobook through the library service I use. And it's Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. And she has a podcast I've mentioned before. And this book really hit me. Like this one actually like changed me by listening to it. And it's about her going through her life and talking about lies she has told herself over the years. Like, you're not good enough. You have to weigh a certain amount. Um, he's the one. <laughs> and she, um, and she unpacks that 
and talks about it and has a, like a real good kick in the pants for like women just trying to find their way in the world. And she's like a preacher, man. She, she can really get on her pulpit and like get you, get you motivated. One caveat I do have to say is I don't agree with something she wrote about her relationship with her husband, but she does say that this is not like normal and you should not hold on to a relationship if this happens to you. So she does say this, but I do want to say this for sake of transparency in this podcast. Yeah. Well, and I think that like the thing with, with, um, with books like that, you, they're going to hit anyone, everyone differently. Like some people they're going to hit more than others. Like I read this one and while I enjoyed it and I did get some things from it, I didn't have, it didn't have the same impact on me as it did on you. But I think that at, at the time when we both read it, we were in very different places in our lives. Like I was pretty, Mm -hmm. I was feeling pretty good about um, the job that I was in and all of that kind of stuff, you know? Oh yeah. And definitely, like I said, I was kind of at a slumpy part of my life (laughs) right then. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't the worst time of my life or anything, but I definitely felt like defeated for sure. And, and it is a very like champion style book. Like it is a very pump you up book. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my list. So yeah, we really like had some deep conversations tonight, today. (laughs) Who would have thought? (laughs) Yeah. I got emotional about some of this. I didn't think I would get as emotional, but. When the book hits. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So March is Women's History Month. So next episode, we are going to talk about the Momals who inspired us and made us who we are today. So another emotional topic. (laughs) Yes. March is getting deep, y'all. Getting getting deep. deep. Mm Mm-hmm. So happy reading, y'all. Thanks for listening. For more stories and all things Southern, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media platforms at Don't Tell Momo. We would like to give a big thank you to David Sewell for the original music. Thank you to all of our Momos who have inspired us along the way. And thank you to Anchor for your incredibly user-friendly site. 